Welcome, everybody. Glad that you're here today. My name is David Weidman. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Journey Church, and it's my privilege to welcome you. Thank you. For a very special treat today. We have people joining us right now in our Kindle campus. There are several hundred uh, and several thousand others joining us from around the world in our church online. And uh, we have a great privilege to be one church in many locations. And so I'm glad that you're here in this location at this time to experience what God has for you and for us today. Uh, we're in the second week of a series that Pastor Bill began for us last week called Be Rich, which is kind of an interesting topic for people in church, you know, be rich. But what we're doing is examining what that means because that very phrase is used in the New Testament. Jesus wants us to be rich, but be careful. He goes on to describe, and through the Apostle Paul goes on to describe, what the richness of life, the abundance of life, is really all about in God's economy. That's something different. So Pastor Bill introduced us last week to a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to um, a young leader by the name of Timothy. And in that, he was encouraging Timothy to learn what real spiritual rich life is like, to be rich in the hope of Christ, not in worldly wealth. Today, we're going to be moving into the second sentence, literally, in that letter, the second verse in that passage that Pastor Bill introduced for us last week, in which he describes and tells us that we are to be rich in good deeds. Be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. That's what it means to really be rich. And to that end, our special guest today is a longtime friend of mine. I think we've been friends for about 16 years now. But uh, we have been just in this past few months, not just friends, but co-workers here in this church. He's one of our fellow pastors. And uh, I want you to, introduce, uh, to, to welcome, as I introduce to you, Pastor John Churchill, who is our missions pastor now here in our church. Would you say welcome? Welcome to John. John, thank you for, uh, for sharing with us today. I know this is, uh, John has been a pastor for over 15 years, and so he uh, has preached for 15 years. Uh, not this way. This is uh, something that is new to me and to him, but in kind of an interview format today, I wanted to help you get to know a little bit about John, because we've known each other such a long time. Uh, it would be helpful for you to get to know him because he has become for me and I believe for us an example of what it means to live a life that is rich in love and good deeds. And so, John, thank you. And uh, give us a little bit of the backstory of John Churchill. Uh, you've got a very interesting journey, and I think that uh, they'd be uh, interested to hear about your journey. Okay? Great. Well, thanks, David. It's really good to be here. As I get started, I will tell you that I've had a cough for about two weeks. So if I cough, please forgive me. 
A little bit about my backstory. My dad was in the army. He, um, when he got orders to go to Vietnam, he, uh, he would turn to my mom and said, okay, where do you want to take our three sons and live while I'm gone for the year? And she said, essentially, I want to go where my people are. My mom was born and raised in Cuba. She came here uh, as an exchange student. She met my dad at a university in Alabama, and they were married, and the rest is kind of a history. So we came down to Miami while he was gone. I went to West Miami Junior High, which is middle school now. Then I went to Coral Park Senior High School, and at the age of 16, I met Christ. And I got actively involved in Youth for Christ campus life here in, in our city. And then when I went away to, to the University of Alabama for my undergrad, I, I, I worked on staff with Youth for Christ up there. And I think I started having the first inklings of a future call in the ministry, but it wasn't time yet. And I was, uh, I was also attending ROTC classes, Reserve Officer Training Corps classes, and really prayed and thought, you know, I believed God wanted me to go in the Army. So I went in the Army. I became a field artilleryman, and that means I shot cannons, and it was a blast. <laughs> My first assignment was in Louisiana, and after I'd been there about a year, I got a call from Army headquarters saying, we are going to deploy you to Turkey for a year, but before you go there, we're going to send you to the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California for a year to learn the language. So I went there, uh, and I had already been actively involved in an organization called Officer Christian Fellowship, and that group got eight of us um, single guys together and said, we want you to start a singles Bible study. And so we did, and we strategically made the decision that we would open it up to civilians. And it's just really interesting that most of the civilians that came were women. <laughs> and so we went from eight people in January to 75 people by June. And many, many marriages came out of that, including my own. Uh, I met my wife, Susan, there. Yay. And... Uh, we just started dating a little before I went to Turkey. Most of our dating was by snail mail. Ten days there, ten days back. That was before internet. And, uh, and when we, we got married two weeks after I got back, after I was gone for that year. Had a lot of great assignments together. We, in 18 years that we were in the Army together, she, we moved 12 times. Uh, we enjoyed each place, but probably our two favorites were Fort Campbell, Kentucky with the 101st Airborne Division, and then we spent, had two tours as diplomats in Guatemala. John has a great family, too. I want you to get to know a little bit about his, his three now adult kids and their families. John, what about them? Yeah, well, two of those kids we had at Fort Campbell, Kentucky are Christy is our oldest, and she's married to Mike Kale, who is an United States Army chaplain. And they live in Aberdeen Proving Ground, Maryland. They have four children, two boys and two girls. Our son John is our second child. He's married to Lindsay. He is a captain in the United States Army and he is now teaching ROTC at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And they have two boys. And then our third child is Carolyn, our youngest, and she's married to Rand Nelson. They've got a boy and a girl. They live in Alabama. And Rand is currently a seminary student. So three kids. Eight grandkids. I'm jealous. I only have five grandkids. I'm trying to catch up with John. But John, you, you, uh, back to your journey. You said that you were uh, you were firing cannons, and then you became a diplomat in the army. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's what happened was in the mid mid career. I I had a career change. So that first half I did shoot cannons. The second half I became a Latin American and Caribbean specialist. So all my assignments dealt with Latin America or the Caribbean or living there. And what was interesting as I look over the span of the whole time in the army, it, in each assignment, 
someone would come and say something along the lines of, hey, have you ever considered becoming a pastor? And so I'd go home to my wife and say, you know, so-and-so said maybe I should consider being a pastor. And she said, she'd always say, I did not marry a pastor. I married a soldier. <laughs> now, the reason that she said that, there were a couple of reasons. First of all, she's the daughter of a pastor. And so she knew the rigors of pastoral ministry, but she also knew that I wasn't ready. See, my, my problem was is I did not love people. As a matter of fact, when she met my spiritual mom here in Miami, the first, one of the first things that she told Susan is, you got to help him love people. Because I'm very, I'm very mission-focused, task-focused, and not so people-focused. And I really was, at that time, looked at people as, as something to help me get where I wanted to go. Not, not, I didn't love them. They were just there to help me. So uh, that can be pretty tricky for a pastor, right? <laughs> Not loving Amen. people, yeah. I mean, it can be tricky for you and me too, can it? When we don't know how to love people. So uh, how did God work on that in your life? Well, he was very faithful to me. And the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews twelve six, the Lord disciplines those he loves. And that certainly was my experience. And when I came out of the other end of that discipline, I came, out with a, I came out more humbled and with a new compassion for people. And what came to be our very last assignment in the Army, I was the defense and Army attache to the Eastern Caribbean. I was the senior defense guy that covered nine nations. And we'd been there about 10 months, and I just said to Susan and my wife, I said, I, I'm just, my, my quiet times in the morning are a little stale right now. I, I just need something different. So I'm, I got to find something. So she said, you know, I've, I had a book that I studied when we were in Guatemala with some other ladies. I think you'd really get a lot out of it. It was called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And God just really used that in my life. The scriptures that were in that book just kind of yelled at me. And I knew that God was up to something. I wasn't sure what, but I knew he wanted me to go join him to, to do something. So one Sunday we had a guest preacher at, at church. And it was, it was like he was just preaching to me. Like, there was nobody else in the room. That's the way I felt. Have you ever been there? You know, where God's just talking to you so clearly. And he was talking about the transfiguration of Jesus. And he said that during the transfiguration, Jesus took three of his disciples apart with him. And then he said, and he called them out, and he's calling you out too. And I just knew that that was God's pastoral call into ministry as a pastor. So... Um Susan didn't marry a pastor. She married a soldier, you said. How'd that, how'd that kind of uh, go over with her? Yeah, well, that was a, a conversation I wasn't really looking forward to having. But what we, what we have done every day in our marriage is we, we spend at least 30 minutes talking to one another, and I knew that that night I'd have to sit down and talk with her. A little nervous about it, but then I told her what happened in church, and she said that she knew it was happening. She was watching me during the service, and she just knew that God was speaking. And then she said, if that's what God wants us to do, that's what we'll go do. And so I began the process to retire from the Army. I was the head of my office, so it took them about a year to get somebody to backfill me. And I left the Army, sensing God moving us here to Miami, and so we came home to Miami. So you're transitioning from an artillery man to a diplomat, and then from a diplomat now to a pastor. How do you transition from being in the Army to being a pastor. Yeah, as I look back on it, I, I thought my biggest challenge was is to find where God wanted me. Because, and so my strategy became, I mean, I knew he wanted me to come here to Miami, but my strategy was I was going to talk to as many Christian leaders in our city as I could and just get their thoughts. Okay, I'm coming to Miami. What do I do? And every man I talked to 
said, well, if you're coming here to Miami, you need to consider planting a church. I didn't, I didn't know what that was, but they said planting a church. The first person to tell me that was Bill White. And at that time, he was involved in a campaign here in Miami called For You Miami, where the Miami Baptist Association and the Florida Baptist Convention were working to plant 100 churches in our city in five years. But as I began to look at church planting, I, I really didn't like the idea of it. Because as I studied it, I figured it was a little too risky because 80 to 90% of church plants fail in the first five years. And folks, I would not get on an airplane with an 80% chance of failure rate. <laughs> Just wouldn't do it. And so, but I did want to remain open to God. And so I continued to search and see what he wanted. And then finally, the guy, the lead church planter here that was trying to plant all these churches finally says to me, he says, okay, John, so what's the holdup? I mean, this just seems like a natural fit. You're from here. God's called you to ministry here. You've come back. And, and this is happening. This campaign's happening. So what's the holdup? And I, can't, I, I remember the words I said to him. I said, I don't want to fail. Well, the next morning in my quiet time, God really dealt with, dealt with those words. And as I read scripture, it was as if he was saying to me, so this is all about you then, John. It's not about what me, me and what I want. It's about you and what you want. And I said, I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me. And I repented and said, Lord, if that's what you want us to go do, that's what we're going to go do. So I came back to Bill White and I said, told him, I said, here's what God has done. And I need help. And he says, I don't know how we'll help, but we will help. And you guys did help. And I know from that, John, that Bay Community Church was birthed. So tell us a little bit about that part of your journey. Well, it was birthed in April of 2003. And it was a church that really was focused on community impact. And our strategy was is to bring people in, train them up, and to send them out. Now, when I say send them out, I mean out into the world that we live in to, to, to share the story of Christ. But we also ended up sending others further out. So one of the people we sent out became a chaplain in the United States Army. That's my son-in-law. Another moved to Clewiston, Florida, where he started a Hispanic church. Another one we sent out, we sent out with him about 20% of our congregation. And then he started a church in West Kendall. And then there was another leader that, that I had a coaching relationship with, a young leader. And uh, he started a church and we helped them there. And what I came to realize is that it's really not the size of the church that matters. It's the size of the heart of the church that matters. Because the truth is, if you're really interested in reaching people for Christ, the statistics show that church planning is one of the best ways to reach people that are far from God. And so we went strong for 14 years. And then about a year ago, uh, I was asked to come and join the staff here as the missions pastor. So I spent a lot of time in prayer, spent time really seeking God in his word and talking to trusted Christian counselors. And during that time, I did sense God's release from my call at Bay Community Church and his call back here. And so in April of this year, our church voted to become to merge with the Christ Journey Church. And many of the dear people I love from Bay Community Church are now attending the Kendall campus. And we're glad you are, John. Thank you. John, I know in, in your story, as in any of our stories, you run into challenges along the way. I mean, it's always, there are broken parts of the road. There are bumpy roads. There are detours. There are challenges. What are, how, how did you go through those challenges along the way? Yes. Well, you know, I, I mentioned that there was a time that God took me through his loving discipline, and it was a time where my boss didn't think I was doing as good as I thought I was doing. 
You ever been there? <laughs> it's a tough place to be. And up to that point, I'd never failed. I'd always nailed every assignment. But this time it wasn't true, and I didn't see it coming. I was absolutely devastated. And looking back on it, I know that my career was way too important to me. But at that point, it wasn't going too well. And I went through probably two years of depression. I was angry. I was hurt. I was bitter. Susan really didn't even know what to do to help me because I was just so angry. And then we came to a place where we, we were invited and went to a family life. It's a crusade um, ministry for a, for a weekend for a marriage retreat. And that's where God began healing me began and began redirecting my life. I, I saw his purpose anew for me. I had a renewed walk. And then he started to use me again in ministry. And, and I think he really just helped me get to the point where, where I could hear his call in a ministry. Because what happened is I came out of that discipline. I had a new compassion for people. I had a new love for people. Because before, I could not understand weakness and failure in people. I had no patience for it. But when I went through weakness and failure myself, I learned to love people because I could relate to them. Yeah, thank you, John. How have you experienced God's hand at work through, through this Christ journey you've been on? Well, the, the prophet Jeremiah says in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So there's two words in those verses that I think we can take very seriously that really you can build your life on. The first is the word never. As in, God's love never fails. It never ceases. God will never stop loving you. You can count on that word never to be true. As in, God's mercy never comes to an end. No matter how many times you fall, no matter how many times you fail, God's mercy towards you never stops. Now, there may be people in your life who give up on you, but God will never give up on you. He'll never stop loving you. He'll never stop forgiving you. He, you can count on that word, never. You can also count on the word every, as in new every morning. And he's promised that each day is a new start for us. You know what that means? It means that you begin each new day right with God. No matter what's happened yesterday, today his mercies to you are brand new. You get to start again. And then I really liked the last thing that Jeremiah said. He said to God, it was a prayer back to God, great is your faithfulness. And personally, I've experienced God's faithfulness in many ways. One of the ways I've experienced it is in his provision. I was told early on as a Christ follower that where God guides, he provides. And that now has been my experience. When we planted Bay Community Church, he provided the resources to do it. And he used you guys to help to do that. He gave us gifted and talented people, some from here, who worked hard in our community to advance God's kingdom. And he also provided finances for us. And as I look back on that time of fear before church planning, I'll tell you very clearly that, that, that the fear was misplaced. God was faithful. God was faithful in his provision to our family. In our early years in church planting, I'm really not sure financially how we made it. We had three kids at Westminster Christian, and then they all went to college, and I just don't know how he did it, but I do know that we kept God first in our finances, and he provided. God is faithful. And let me just say to you, when God gives you a direction in your life, trust him to provide what you need to get his will done. He'll do it. He is faithful. I've also seen his faithfulness in his direction to me. And that means when I fasted and I prayed and I stayed in God's word so that I could hear from him, when I sought out wise Christian counselors, he always provided direction in my life. 
And so I encourage you to stay in his word daily. I've also seen God's faithfulness through his correction. And I mentioned that earlier. See, God is working to make us more like Jesus. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 8.29, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, or the likeness of his son. See, God is working to make us more like Jesus. He's working in all of us to make us more like Jesus. And so sometimes he'll allow stuff to come into our lives or allow our decisions to take, our choices to take us where those consequences are. And when that happens, sometimes it's really difficult. In my case, I had to get to the point in my life where I'd gone through tough times so that I could relate with the struggles of others around me who were going through tough times. God had to get me to the point to where I was usable in his service. I've also seen... God's faithfulness in his protection. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Honduras. It rained the whole time we were there. And there were the, the river swelled. Some houses were washed away. And it reminded me of a story that Jesus told. He told of two people each who built a house on different foundations. One builds the house on a solid foundation. The other builds the house on sand. And then Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Well, you see the words put, put them into practice highlighted there. Would you say that together with me? Puts put them, them into, into practice. practice. Thank you. See, Jesus is saying that the word of God is a solid foundation to build our lives on. But to be wise is, is you put his word into practice. You're obedient to God's word. It's that obedience that strengthens that foundation. And so when the rains come in our life, when the problems come, the one who has his house built on a solid foundation, the obedience to God's word, stands while others are washed away. You see, Jesus didn't say that the storms in life won't come, because they will. But he does say that you'll be able to get through them. Your, your life's solid foundation built on God's word will withstand the storms that you face. God is faithful. So I hear John saying that in his experience, that he has experienced God's provision and God's correction and God's protection throughout your life. Can we get in on that? How do we experience that in our journey? Good. Well, first of all, if, if you don't have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I, I think today is the day you should consider it. Here's the problem that we humans have. And the problem we have with God is a sin problem. Now, I know that sometimes when people hear the word sin, they just think of these, I've never murdered anybody, I've never robbed anything. But, but sin really is anything that you think wrong, that you say wrong, or that you do wrong. Is there anybody who's never done anything wrong? No, there isn't. We all do things wrong, we regret it, but that, the Bible calls that sin. And the Apostle Paul says that the wages of that sin is death. That is spiritual separation from God forever. But the good news is, is that we have a very loving God who loved us so much that he didn't want that separation to stay there. So he sent his son, Jesus, to here to live a sinless, perfect life. He, he was convicted to die on a cross on trumped up charges. When he died on the cross, what happened was is he paid the wages for your sin and my sin. He paid it in full. And so what should be our response? Well, Jesus offers you the gift of salvation. It's not something you can earn. You, you don't get salvation or get to go to heaven 
by, by being good enough, by going to church enough, by being nice enough to people, by volunteering to help the poor and disadvantaged. The only way that you get there is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you've never received Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation, I just encourage you to do that today. We'll give you opportunity after a little bit to do that. Secondly, if you're a Christ follower, I just think it's very important that you ask, Lord, what is next in my journey with Christ? Maybe it's baptism if you've never been baptized. Or maybe, maybe God has something else for you to do because I guarantee you, he, if you are a Christ follower, he has something for you to do. The Apostle Paul said this in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. He has a good work for you to do. He's already prepared that. You know, it could be a good work in your place of work. It could be with a coworker. Maybe there's a coworker in need that just needs a friend. Or maybe it's one of those neighbors that you don't know, and what you don't know is they're going through some pretty serious marital problems, and they just need somebody to walk along with them. Maybe that's what God has you for you to do. Or maybe it's with your close friends or family, but the world is a mission field, and God wants to use you there. And there may be some of you who God is dealing with, just like he dealt with me, and God's got a call in your life into vocational Christian ministry. And I just encourage you, like the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. Say that to God. If he's talking to you right now, say, I'll do it. Don't fear, just put your faith into practice. So John, the series we're in is called Be Rich. And uh, we understand and see in your, in your example that God is making you rich in good deeds, that you're serving our country, you're serving your fellow man here and around the world. Um, I've heard you say that, that we do not have a faith of works, that is that we don't get into a relationship with God because of our works, but we have a faith that works, that as we are in a relationship with God, we put it into practice and we do good deeds. We become rich in good deeds. So what are some, I guess, practical applications of how that could happen to us here in this auditorium today? Good. So talking about putting the word into practice, we in the missions department have several ways where you can put your faith to practice. Because, and that, remember, that helps strengthen that solid foundation. Jesus said for us to feed the poor, to care for the hungry. Well, our church is doing that. We have a ministry here called Feed Miami. And what we do is we pro provide a food supplement to families that are going through some tough times. And we serve about 200 families every month. And we not only give them food, but we spend time praying with them and sharing the gospel with them. And you can join in that endeavor. We need 200 people in our church to become Feed Miami friends. And what we ask our Feed Miami friends to do is to provide one bag a month of groceries to help the poor. Susan and I do it, and I will just tell you that the cost isn't that high, but it makes such an eternal difference in the lives of people who are going through some tough times. We could also, secondly, imp impact your city with the love of Christ by serving our city. Join us for a city serve. We do it two or three times a year, and where we get out and we serve our community, we love people that are far from God, showing them that we really do care. 
So the last city serve was about a month ago. 325 people came out. We went to Miami Beach Senior High School. Well, then we went to, we also went to Coral Gables Senior High School. We went to a Youth for Christ program in Homestead called Kicks. They, uh, they work with at-risk children in, in Homestead. And then we also had meals prepared here at this campus for Touching Miami with Love, which deals with at-risk children in Overtown. And we served. It was a great morning of service. We had one of, my, one of the leaders tell me that she was talking to two of the high school girls, and they just said, I, we can't believe that a church would do this that they would care so much to come. They couldn't believe it. Another church, we were given an invitation to provide a, a, a chaplain for the basketball team. See, the city serves what it does. It opens the door to redemptive relationships. That morning of service, it's a few hours on your part, but it goes a long way in advancing the kingdom of God. And thirdly, you can go on an international mission trip. I mean, we send groups all over the world to, to minister to people at risk and children and families that are going through some tough times. We've just finished in the last month and change three really successful mission trips. The first one was to the Middle East where we ministered to Syrian refugees. We gave them medical attention. We gave them food. We, we hosted an evangelistic event called a Jesus Celebration where many Arabs put their faith in Jesus Christ. We trained ministry leaders in the very last day there. We got to see five former Muslims baptized. Now, I can't show you those pics because we're gonna protect the people that we work with, but it, it was an amazing move of God. I will tell you, he's so moving in the Middle East right now. There is a new receptivity to the gospel. And what we were told was, is because ISIS has been so evil and all these refugees, these Muslim refugees, are refugees because of ISIS, a Muslim organization, that now they're beginning to question the Muslim faith. There's a new receptivity to the gospel. We've also returned from a fact-finding trip to two Central American countries. We, we went to Honduras. Um, and in Honduras, we looked at a, a potential partner, someone who's already doing ministry there. They're ministering to 33 villages in Honduras and really helping the quality of life and leading people to Christ. And then we had a, a lawyer, a doctor, and a businessman and myself who went there. And then we went to Guatemala. I just got back yesterday from Guatemala. And in Guatemala, we had a businessman, a professor, a doctor, and myself. Uh, and we were just examining these two organizations, different organizations that are already at work, in those two countries are making a big impact, helping people, helping poor people, and, and helping them get to a place where there's some stability in their life. And it's such a great opportunity to develop relationships with people that are, that are you know, have it so much worse than us, to where you can love them and share Christ's story with them. And what I found is that when you go on an international mission trip, when you're serving like that, it really strengthens your faith. You come back a more solid Christ follower because you're putting your faith to practice. And if you want more information on that, you can go to ChristJourney.org, click on the missions tab, and it tells you a lot about the trips coming up. But I would just want to tell you, and just reiterate, that God has something for you to do. He has a next step for you. And I want to encourage you to look around and see what God's working in around your life and join in there. Serve those around you. That's what he wants. Love them, care for them it'll make an eternal difference in their life. Thank you, John. You know, I think it's appropriate, especially on this Veterans Day weekend, 
that we express our appreciation for 22 years of military service and then his family that you saw pictures of who are serving our country, but also to say thank you for his service to us and to our church and to God's kingdom as we look toward years ahead that God is teaching us through him what it means to be rich in good deeds. Would you say thank you to John today? And thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, John. Thanks. Thanks. Well, I, I hope you've been challenged today and encouraged by John's words that uh, that he his life is not the only life in which Christ is at work. Christ wants to be at work in your life, calling you out to take the next step, steps of faith, steps of obedience to his word that God would, would help us all to be rich in love and in good deeds. Uh, as John said, the first step in that journey, that Christ journey, is the step of faith in which you would say, I need you, Jesus, to come into my heart and my life. And I know that there are likely uh, people in this room today, you may have never had an opportunity to receive Christ into your life. As John so uh, eloquently spoke of it, of what that experience is like, of taking that step of faith, of asking Jesus to forgive you for your sins and then to make you whole, to, to come into your heart and life. So I'm going to ask this, if you would all bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm going to say a prayer for those in the room who've never made a, a decision to ask Christ into your life. This may be the time for you. And so you can, in the quietness of your heart, right there where you sit, say this prayer as, as I lead, you can say the prayer in your heart, right there in your seat. Dear Father, I know that I have tried to live my life in my own strength. Father, I have sinned. I have fallen short of what I would hope and what you would hope. Father, I ask for your forgiveness of my sin. Uh, Father, I ask you to come into my life now to become my Savior and my Lord, the boss in my life. God, I don't know what all that means, but I know that that is your plan and desire for my life, that I would then be rich in love and in good deeds to my family and my community and indeed to the world. So Father, I say thank you for coming into my life. And I pray this now in Jesus' name you'll keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I'd like to ask if any of you today in this room prayed that prayer with me just now, and you would allow me the privilege of praying for you from up here. I'd not embarrass anyone, but if you'd just slip your hand up around the room to let me know that you prayed that prayer. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand, and I see your hand here in the middle. Thank you. God bless you. There are hands raised all around this room, and God is leading. Thank you. I see your hand. God is leading them to 
to invite him into their hearts. And so I want to say this prayer for those who have raised their hand. God, we are so grateful that you have made a way when there seemed to be no way, that it is not by our works that we are saved, but it is by your grace that we have been saved through faith. God, I thank you for the lives that have been changed today. I pray for them to take that next step, to follow you, to follow you in baptism and to follow you into a life of serving and of loving, a life of good works that you've called us to, that you have created us for. Father, I thank you for the other lives in this room who have made commitments in their heart today to take that next step to do that next thing that you've tugged at their heart today as pastor john uh, reminded us and prompted us and encouraged us to take that next step so lord i i thank you for his word i thank you for your word i pray that we would not just be hearers of the word but that we would be doers of the word that we would apply it in our lives grateful for your leadership in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.